0: Well, good morning, my friends. How are you? Yeah, we have had time to soak in worship and praise, letting God know how great and wonderful He is, talking about the great things He's done in our lives. And so now we're going to receive kind of a new revelation so that we can thank Him for that as well, kind of store it up in our hearts and we can learn and grow together. Everybody ready to get into the Word of God? All right, now take out your Bibles, take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. If you're watching online, make sure to fire up the app. You can take notes. I'm going to give you the fill in the blank. All that stuff works for you as well. All right, we are in part two of a series through the book of what? Ezekiel, praise God. So we're in the year of opportunity, walking in part two of Ezekiel, and I entitled this series, Impossible Hope. Indeed, Ezekiel ministered during the darkest hour of the nation of Israel. They had lost their land. They had lost their temple. They lost every key thing that made them feel special. And they believed that not only was it impossible that there was no hope, but even God could not not rescue them. And what God does, he grabs a man by the name of Ezekiel, a priest who had been deported as well there were three deportations of the Jewish people out of Israel into Babylon. The first one took guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. The second deportation took Ezekiel the priest. And in that area, hanging out with all of his guys, God snatches them up and shows him heaven. Now, I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank with a couple ideas. And the first one is simply this. What a glorious opportunity it is that God wants to do things in us and through us, amen? I mean, how incredible. I know that in in modern-day world, we live in a place and a time when we really focus on ourselves. As a matter of fact, we're taught to really think we're a big deal. The world revolves around us. And as a matter of fact, unfortunately, some of us have this attitude, you know, oh, God wants to talk to me. Well, he'd be lucky to have me. And it's like, well, hold up a second. What'd you just say? And I I think that's why last week, if you got a chance to hear last week's message, when God shows Ezekiel the reality of heaven, the reality that God is so massive that even the creatures that minister to him are so deafening as they move, and it made Ezekiel feel like a little tiny speck of dust. But in that, God said, but I still love you. I still see you. I still want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to be with you. I want to do things with you and through you. Understand this. We are here for a reason. God could do all of it alone. He doesn't want to. If you're going to do any theological argument and figure out, well, could God do it a different way? Could God do it himself? Well, why do I need to share my faith? God could do it anyway. The answer is always, of course he could. He doesn't want to. What he ultimately wants to do is he wants to do things with us. Why? So we would emotionally bond. I think every parent in here can admit you do not have your kids do chores because they're great at it. <laughs> it's just part of being a family, it's part of connecting, it's part of doing stuff. And and God doesn't have us do stuff because we're better at it. As a matter of fact, we just make things worse. But what he does, he says, but I want you with me. That's all I care about. I just want you with me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to do fun stuff with me. I want you to see stuff that'll blow your mind. Now, no one ever said that doing stuff with God was gonna be easy, just that it would be meaningful. So you have to make a decision at some point in your life, do I want an easy life or a meaningful life? Because they're not gonna be the same thing. If you want an easy life, it's gonna cater towards creature comforts. It's gonna cater towards isolation. It's gonna cater towards you. If you want a meaningful life, you've got to bend it all towards God. You've got to step out of your comfort zone. God's not afraid of what you're afraid of. So he'll go wherever he wants to go. And if you want to go with him, you can't hang out in your comfort zone. He ain't in there. He's going to go do something exciting. And I think some of the reasons why we don't take more advantage of the opportunities God gives us, and and there's probably a million of them, right? I I think that sometimes it's fear, Have you ever been afraid to do something? You know God called you to do something, but either it's going to be awkward or it's going to be nerve-wracking or scary, and you tell him no. I think sometimes it's just sheer laziness. We are cool where we're at, and we don't want to be bothered, right? I think sometimes we just simply didn't see it. We only see it in retrospect, right? So we come back around. We're like, oh, shoot, I should have taken advantage of that. God was totally in that. I missed it. But regardless of why, if we keep missing opportunities of God, we're going to live a boring faith. We're going to live a Christianity that is all up in our heads. We're going to live a Christianity that is dry. We're going to live a Christianity where God feels far away, and we're going to struggle with our faith because we have a hard time believing He's real when we don't do anything with Him. The -the fill-in-the-blank on the sheet in front of you on your app is simply this. There is no greater purpose than partnering with God. There is no greater purpose than partnering with God. We were born to partner with God. We're born to live into our purpose and meaning. Any valuable living has to begin with God and continue with God. Here at Bridgeway, we cannot simply be scripture-soaked. We must also be what? Spirit-led, that's right. That means we have to go and do stuff with him. All right. I'm going to assume that you haven't been basking in the glory of my last message all week. So I'm going to recap where we were, right? Because most of you are like, I didn't even know you preached last week. Praise God. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about it, right? So Israel's in this dark place. God grabs a guy named Ezekiel, and he says, I need you to be my voice to the people. However, what we find out is that almost without warning. God grabs this guy, brings him up. He sees the chariot of God. So, I mean, like you're like in heaven's garage, right? And he sees the chariot of God. He sees these massive beings, cherubim, four wings, four faces. They got wheels underneath them, and they, they make the sound like an earthquake when they're swinging their wing. I mean, it's just radical, multi-sensory overload craziness. Why? because the calling that Ezekiel was about to walk into was so brutal, was so uncomfortable, so difficult, that God never wanted him to doubt his reality, to never doubt his calling, to never doubt the power of God. You see, no normal calling would do, no, hey, I need you to do something for me, would you do that? Man, it's gonna be so difficult, Ezekiel would have bailed out a long time ago. not after he saw what he saw. But by the time we get done with that part of the story, Ezekiel is flat on his face and he can't get up. I mean, we're talking about pass out, come to, can't get up because of the glory of God. And that's where we began. Would you turn to me to Ezekiel chapter 2? Ezekiel chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It's page 693 in that Bible. In yours, it might be similar if you're in the ESV. If you have your own Bible, different version, just drop it up in the middle. You're going to find it around the middle there. It's 48 chapters long, so it's kind of easy to spot. It's right after Lamentations and we got Ezekiel, then it hits Daniel. Those guys are contemporaries, right? All right, fantastic. Well, let's dive into it. I'm going to read a little bit, talk about it, read a little bit, talk about it. Let's do it. And he, God, said to me, Ezekiel, son of man. Now that's a fancy way of saying human being. Stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Holy Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard God speaking to me. And he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled or revolted against me, the king. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are also insubordinate on the outside and stubborn on the inside. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord Yahweh. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are indeed a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. All right, let's pause for a moment. We start out, he's on his face and he can't get up. As a matter of fact, you see that it requires the Holy Spirit to come into him just to lift him physically up and stand on his feet. That's some heavy glory, right? Like, But what it suggests to me is that in order to do God's stuff that we are called to do, we have to have the Holy Spirit because without him, we can't do God's stuff. Okay, Let's run a scenario. All right, so he's going to say... Hey, Barbara, tap on the shoulder. Hey, go over and heal that person. You're like, yeah, I'll do that. You walk over, you're like, hey, I'm Barbara. And they're like, well, I need healing. You're like, let me do that. What are you going to do? You got nothing. You've never healed anybody. Now, it's a whole different ballgame if God taps you on the shoulder and he says, hey, I want you to go over to heal that. And you know that you're walking with the Holy Spirit, and you go up and you say, hey, I'm here on behalf of the Lord. The Holy Spirit's with me. I'm going to pray for you to be healed, and His power is going to heal you. That's a whole different ballgame, because now all of a sudden, the Lord's doing God's stuff. Boom, He sweeps through you, and there's a game changer. Okay, we need God to do anything important We need God to do our marriages. We need God in order to be good parents. We need God to do school. We need God to do work. We need God to do everything. If it's going to matter, it's going to require something more than what we got. We need the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, through our lives at all times so that God can tap us on the shoulder for any assignment and we're ready to go. It is not you that's amazing. It's not me that's amazing. It's God that's amazing. Amen? Okay, so... This whole idea of being knocked out by God, is that really a thing? Well, in the Bible, it actually happens a decent amount. Um, as a matter of fact, Ezekiel's contemporary, Daniel, got knocked out three times. Man, that dude is possuming like crazy, right? I mean, I feel like, so he sees Daniel, he's like, ah, oh, and he falls over. And then he sees another heavenly being, oh, he falls over. And I feel like all the angels are looking, God, I didn't touch him, I swear. This guy is just, like, sensitive, man. I don't know what is, what is the number one command angels give immediately when they meet somebody. Fear not, right? Because they're terrifying. They know that. They have been in the presence of God. Not only do they just decide to show up in your room, that's unnerving, but, and not only are they big and bad, right, but they have heaven on them. And when you are struck by that reality, boom, you're gone. All right. So, but it wasn't just Daniel. Uh, Peter and Paul both record accounts where it says, and I fell into a trance. Falling into a trance means it wasn't really your idea. You fell into it. In other words, they entered into a new kind of existence. You know what a trance is? A trance means you're no longer driving the car. A trance means everybody's going, hey, 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 bro, you there? You there? Nope, you're going somewhere with Jesus. In your mind, you are being transported to wherever he wants to take you, and you're no longer connected as well to this place. That's actually what a trance is. It's beyond your control. Well, as a matter of fact, probably my favorite one is John the Revelator, John the Apostle, John the Beloved, whatever you want to call him. we got a gospel of John. It's that guy. When he sees Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, boom, he's out. And what's so fun for me is that's John's best friend. He lived with him for three years. That was his mentor. That was his hero. That was everything. This is John that laid back on his chest. Do you remember that? At the Last Supper. Why would he hit the deck? Because he saw his best friend glorified. And that's when Jesus goes, dude, this is what I really look like. Uh, man, the way that I used to be with you, I so dumbed it down, <laughs> right? Like, uh, but, but this is really me. And all of a sudden, John's like, oh, my God, ah, and he falls over. Two times, the Bible records that when the Holy Spirit filled the temple of God, the priests could not stand. They just lay down. The other one says they couldn't even enter into the temple because it was so heavy. Okay, so this is crazy. I mean, is this stuff really happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have friends that have been in major situations where it was super thick. As a matter of fact, I pray for it to be like that. I'm like a broken record. I pray with prayer teams before Saturday night services. I pray with prayer teams before Sunday morning services, and in those I just constantly keep praying the same thing. Uh, presence, power people. Uh, God, I want your presence so thick in this place that everyone can feel it when they walk on campus. And the reason why I so desperately want that is not for flash, it's for connection. You see, whether or not the sermon's any good, whether or not, oh, they played that song I love, you would say, I had Uh, experience with my God. Sometimes I'd be preaching, you're so thick with the presence of God in this place that you're just hanging with Him. You're kind of blocking me out, man. You're having your own time with the Lord, and you can leave here full. That's what I want. I want our entire campus saturated. I want our little babies that when they're being held by volunteers, they can just chill out and relax because the presence of God is in their room. I want the youth to be on fire. I want everybody just to know, man, when I'm in God's house, not only am I safe and secure, but boy, it's exciting in here. That's what I want. So I keep praying that and praying that and praying that. Well, if I'm going to keep praying that and people are praying that with me, then stuff's going to start shifting and changing in the atmosphere. And if that is true, it's going to start causing some of this stuff by nature. If you got a thick presence, sometimes it's going to affect you. You know, sometimes you're in worship and you just start to cry. Why are you crying? Is the song particularly sad? No, but your emotions have been triggered and you've engaged and something deeper is happening. Right? Okay. So let me ask you a quick question. Show of hands, how many of you heard the phrase slain in the spirit? Anybody hear that phrase before? Yeah, okay, a whole bunch of you. I'll explain it in a moment. And then second question, how many of you have ever had that happen to you or been in the environment when it was happening? Anybody? Okay, a whole bunch of you. All right, I have been in that environment a lot. I actually grew up in Pentecostal charismatic environments and I saw it a lot. I actually left that environment because of abuses. And I, I came back to reengage with the Holy Spirit because I'm not gonna let stupid people ruin my relationship with God. So I believe, I believe that I want all the Holy Spirit that he is and that he will allow me to have. I don't want anything fake. I don't want anything false. I don't want anything misleading, amen? So we're gonna lean into that kind of stuff. But I've been in environments, and I kid you not, I was at a conference, and I think I shared this with you before. I was in a conference where everyone fell down. I mean, it wasn't, like you couldn't even coordinate this. Like if I was like, everybody, let's do the thriller dance and I all brought you up here, we'd look like a bunch of idiots. Nobody can coordinate anything. And man, when they were praying, everybody's gone. And I'm the only dude standing. (laughs) It's like a tornado went through, all the wheat went down except for one awkwardly pink, pale, gawky guy. And I was like, shoot, it's totally me, right? and everybody's down. So I've been in these environments quite a bit. So what I want to do is I want to take just a moment as a church family is I want to talk about what that is, and I want to talk about how we're going to handle it around here because that kind of stuff does happen around here, but I want to make sure that we're on the same page. There's nothing to fear. We have plans. We have an idea of what's going on. We know how to handle everything. So you never have to worry about it, right? So let's talk about Is it legit? Is it bogus? Well, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down four words. I think there's four elements that are going on in a given situation where somebody uh, has this experience. Now, I hate the phrase, slain in the Spirit, and I'm going to tell you why. Nobody wants to be hacked or smited by God. That sounds horrifying. Hey, do you want to be slain in the Spirit? Not really. Not really. That sounds like a sword. I'm not interested. Okay, so we tend to use the phrase fall out in the spirit. Same concept, but we're just not hacking. Does that make sense? (laughs) Let's use a little more gentle to talk here. Okay, so there's going to be four words. The four words are this, spirit, soul, body, warfare. Spirit, soul, body, warfare. Warfare. I'm going to walk through them one by one. First one, if you're taking notes, I just want you to write the word spiritual knockouts. Spiritual knockouts. This is when God's awesome presence overwhelms an individual. They are rendered inoperative and they go night night. Does that make sense? Like you are gone. That is pass out, fall asleep. And once again, he's not killing them. It's that you just get to sleep a little extra today. That's entirely an involuntary action. That is kind of what we were talking about in Scripture, right? That is, God, oh my, you're gone. That's kind of what it means. Does that really happen? Yes, it does. Um, There's a variety of forms that it takes, but yes, that does occur. Is it super common? Eh, Not as much as YouTube might suggest. I mean, you look stuff up online. What the heck is happening there, right? All kinds of weird stuff. We'll talk about that in a second. Second one, write this down soul impact, or it, it, maybe this will help a little more. Write down the words, emotional swooning, emotional swooning, okay? Since it's 1920, I thought I would be modern with the swooning word. That's when you're emotionally overwhelmed by the presence of God and you begin to get weak. Now, at that moment, you have options. This is a partnership thing. You have options to be able to go, shake it off. I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that and you just remain standing. Or you can lean into it and go with the weakness and go, dude, i got to sit down. i got to lay down. i got to go night-night, whatever. Boom, you're gone. Okay, but that is not a forced thing on you. That is a do you want that? Because why some people would want that is because they're in an environment that's super safe, understands them, isn't going to judge them, and they just get to bask in God. That's why they would want it. Because imagine this, imagine for a moment of time, God draws so near that your problems fade, and you feel okay. There's some of us here, we haven't had that in weeks, in months, in years. And when He finally does that, you don't want to get up and leave. You just want to be there. Okay, well, if you're in an environment where, hey, we knew that was going to happen. It's cool. We're not going to step on you. We'll walk right over you, right? It's cool. You can lay there for a little bit. That's fine. You just hang out with God. Okay, but understand, the first one was all spiritual. The second one was primarily all emotional, okay? Now, your system hits an overload, and you feel weak. Everybody good with that? All right, here's the third category, body or fleshly response body, or fleshly response. Now, this can be healthy or unhealthy, but it seems to hinge on a couple things, and one of them is church culture. So, for example, there are some churches or denominations that the idea of falling out in the Spirit is not only that you can, but that you should. That starts to mess with people's heads a little bit. In one sense, there's a positive that you have a place that's prepped for you, but on the negative, it can start getting a little bit weird on pressure right? So for example, everyone that you respect, they're up front, they're worshiping, boom, they go down. You start going, well, I guess special people fall out in the spirit. Oh, I guess really worshipful people fall out in the spirit. And all of a sudden you start feeling this odd angst that you're supposed to do it. So then you start pressing it. You start leaning into it, even when God's like, dude, I wasn't even there. I don't know what you're doing right now. But you're like leaning into it and causing it and doing all this stuff. If you add that to other human dysfunction, which is the need for attention, the need for care, you start to watch people manipulate situations. So uh, you find out, man, if I'm more drama, if I fall out in the spirit, more people will pay attention to me, so I'm going to do that a lot. Or man, if anything happens and I'm manifesting, more people show me attention. Now. If you are around conservative environments, and after I left the charismatic environment, I went into very conservative environments, in conservative environments, we're super mean to these people because we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you. You're just trying to get attention. Okay, hold on. Do you realize that all people that come into church are broken and that a bunch of us are looking for attention? We just do it in different ways. Nobody ever comes up to somebody super nicely dressed and says, what is wrong with you? I can't believe you would try to get attention like, okay, calm down. If they are broken, should we not minister appropriate, appropriately and say, listen, you don't need to do this to get our attention? Should we not minister to their heart and redirect them to the Lord? Are they being distracting? Yeah. A lot of people do stuff that's distracting. We don't need to freak out about it. We just need to redirect, redirect, okay? Okay, this is category four. Write this down. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Satan and his team are opportunists, are they not? If there's anything legit going on, would you not, if you're the bad guys, not want to show up and cause problems? So they're always going to provide a counterfeit. They're always going to try to provide a disruption or a distraction, and that stuff happens in certain environments. So what demons will end up doing is they come in and they start poking the fleshly responses, Dude, you need to manipulate this. You need to change this. You need to do this. And they just start causing problems. Then they start hyping people up way too much. Like the stuff that you see sometimes online, and you're like, that doesn't look like God, right? Well, you're getting played. You're getting messed with. And you're like, oh, I know what you're talking about, pastor. I was in an environment, and it was so weird, and I was so distracted. Hold on. Weirdness is not an indicator whether it's God or not. God's weird. God's weird. So let's not play that game. If you're unfamiliar with an environment, it's going to feel weird and it's going to be distracting because you just got there. But if you're familiar with the environment, it is the water in which you swim in and you notice someone is way over the top and they're pulling attention away from the Lord, an alarm should go off where you go, oh, that's not good. Now, our job is not to shut everything down. Our job is to redirect, redirect, sweetly, calmly, correct, redirect, that's what we're gonna do. Now understand, the extreme of all of this, and this is why I'm talking about keeping things healthy, the extreme to all of this is when people are intentionally manipulating. This strikes a chord in me that I get a little bit overprotective. This is where you're gonna watch uh, me kind of iron man out and just get a little bit aggressive. Um, I have buddies in this church who have been part, of, been part of teams in other churches a long time ago, you don't know them, okay? <laughs> Where there was a speaker that came in and they had the elders deal with a line of people that wanted to talk to them. And they're known for knocking people out in the spirit. And the elders walked ahead of them and said to the people, you will fall down. You will fall down. You will fall d- all the way down the line. Like, that was a bullying tactic that was completely manipulative. That's where my kind of daddy bear comes out, right? That kind of garbage never should happen in a church. It will never happen in this church if I ever find out about it. (laughs) We got problems. Amen? Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what we want is we want God. You don't mess with God's stuff. And that makes people untrustworthy. If you're untrustworthy in your character, how can I trust you with the gospel? So we need to have some boundaries. We need to have accountability. So anytime you ever see something going on, I just need you to know this. We have a plan. You're all right. You don't have to worry about it. Oh my gosh, what does this mean? It just means leadership is on it. That's all it means. So you don't have to fear, amen? Okay, let's keep moving forward. So Ezekiel receives his calling. God says, I'm sending you to the Jews. He's like, that's awesome. I'm a Jew. (laughs) He's like, I know. However, I'm sending you to a nation of rebels. Like they are revolting against the king. They are in danger of high treason. And the problem with that is not that Ezekiel doesn't agree with that assessment. It's that if God puts a label on you, that is what you are. Like there's no arguing back. Ezekiel's like, I don't really see it that way. God's like, I don't care. I see everything. And that's what they are. So it would probably hit him pretty hard And we're going to talk in part four of this series about why they're in so much trouble. But just for right now, understand, they had turned their back on God, and he gave them a million chances. And now it was time to bring the hammer down. So God says this, I'm going to send you to them, and I want you to say, thus says the Lord. Now, this is the highest level of prophetic office and assignment in the Bible. It connotes infallibility, and here's the deal. It is the direct judgment words of God that proclaim reality. It must not be edited, changed, refused, or altered in any way. Every bit of it is accurate and true. I have such a high value for thus saith the Lord. That's why I don't like using that phrase today. It doesn't fit our environment. I'm going to tell you why. So when back in the Old Testament era... God had a few point people, and he's like, I need you to be my voice box. If you say it, it's like me saying it, so I can't have you mess this up. There's strict penalties if you mess this up, because they don't have any other access to me but through you. You're the only option. If you're the only option, then I have to be really hardcore with you. But here's the interesting thing. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he began to save people. When you come to Jesus and you say, I need to be cleansed of my selfishness, I need to be cleansed of my sin, I want to surrender to God, Jesus, I want you to clean me up, I want you to be the king of my life, I want you to be with me forever, and you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, God cleans up your spirit, not a little bit, a lot of it, perfect and pure and holy. When he does that, that allows room for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of you permanently. When Jesus changed that paradigm, now all true believers have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to hear words from the Lord all the time. That means everybody's hearing from God. It's not a select few. It's everybody. Well, when everybody is hearing from the Lord, how are we going to know what's legit and not legit? In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul lays out the rules. Guys, since we're all hearing from the Holy Spirit, what I want you to do is I want you to profess it out and then hold it accountable. You got to bring it back to God. God, is this word legit? It says, and I want you to weigh what is said. That means if somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, man, I feel like God gave me a word for you, it's not like you're doomed with that word. You're supposed to take it to Jesus and go, did you say this? Right? And then you ask around and get some clarity. That's how New Testament era works. So it's no longer false prophecy means death and stoning. It's not that anymore. Now it's like, well, I don't know if you're mature. I don't know how close to God you're walking. I don't know whether or not your communication skills aren't great. How am I supposed to know what the Lord is saying right here, right now? I got to weigh it and assess it. That's why in Bridgeway, I don't like the phrase, the Lord said. You need to put some caveats. I feel like the Lord is saying, I, I sense that the Lord is telling you. I feel like I received the word from the Lord that was X. What you're doing is you're giving them the freedom and empowerment to filter what they're hearing. That's biblical. Make sense? All right, let's keep moving forward. He says this. He said, I'm sending you to people, whether they hear you or don't hear you, and they're not gonna listen to you. I'm letting you know right now. Well, that's weird. Why would you send a prophet to somebody who doesn't wanna hear it? Because they need to hear the warning whether they like it or not. But it does bring up one thing that I think is important for us. Results of God work are not on us. You've never healed anybody and you never will. You've never saved anybody and you never will. Those are God things. Our job is to be accountable to how we present it, the lifestyle we live, the manner in which we communicate it. Our side is the packaging and delivery Results are God's. Some of us don't minister more often because we're afraid it's not going to turn out well. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to do your best. God never asked you to be something you're not. He just asked you to be the real you. He asked you to be the best version of you. He asked you to go out and do ministry in his name and let him take care of where it goes from there. So many of us need to take that weight and just lift it right off our shoulders and say, God, I'm going to go out and do my best. Would you, whatever is legit, would you back up? Because God, if you don't like anything, I'll change. If we are soft and receiving from him and we are doing it with love in our heart and truth in our mouth, God will handle it from there. Amen? We got to let that go. Let's pick it up in verse 6. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words nor be dismayed at their threatening looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Anybody getting the feel it's a rebellious house? You're like, I feel like you keep saying that. He's like, I am. Well, why is he saying it that way? Because he said, I don't want you to be afraid of them. You've already seen me in heaven. You're on my team. They're not on my team right now. They're being rebellious. You don't need to worry about them. It's not like I'm backing them up and backing you up. You're on my side, and I've asked you to do something. You don't need to worry about how they look at you. You don't need to worry about what they're saying about you. I got you. I'm asking you to go into a very difficult environment. Understand that, but I have your back. You're going to be okay. You know, it might encourage some of us to realize when you present the gospel to somebody else and they don't react well to it, sometimes it's not about you at all because we feel really rejected. Uh hey, Bob, I noticed that you're going through a really rough time. I don't know if you wanted to go to, to church with me and stuff, but I... Dude, are you a Christian? Uh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Dude, only idiots are Christians. What is wrong with you? Seriously? Like you're buying all that fake news? What, you go to church all the time? Oh, I'm really holy or whatever. Anyway. Okay. When you see a reaction like that, a lot of times it's got nothing to do with you. They just got presented that you're part of a team that they've been trained not to like, and they're scared there. And the second thing is they're now engaging with a God thing that they're trying to figure out and they're really having a hard time with it. You're just the person in front of them that they can lash out at. So, so much of that, if you're not being a jerk, so much of that you need to just let wash over you. They're wrestling with truth. They may even come back to you later on and go, bro, that was, I'm sorry, can't believe I acted like that. I don't know what was wrong with me. Let it sit. Your job is not to go, well, I think you're an idiot too. (laughs) Now you just ruined it. What you're supposed to do is go, hey, 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 I'm on your side, dude. I'm just trying to care for you. That's not your thing. I get it. Let it go. They're dealing with God. Pick it up in verse 8. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. He's like, I get it. Now open your mouth and eat what I give you. I'm sorry, what? Oh, we're eating today i didn't oh i didn't know that all right what am i eating and when i looked behold a hand was stretched out to me i guess it was god's hand and behold a scroll of a book was in it and he spread it out before me and it had writing on the front and the back and there were written on it words of lamentation and a better translation is moaning and woe and he said to me son of man eat whatever you see here eat this scroll and go speak to the house of israel so I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat, and he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you. Fill your stomach with it. And I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Okay, this is what you call weird. Right? I don't know the last time I ate parchment, but it was, it's been a while. Okay, what is happening right now? Like, all of a sudden, what? He gives you, he's like, you got to eat this. You're like, all right, what is it? Is it pudding? It's a scroll. I don't eat scrolls, dude. I stopped eating paper when I was like three, right? I still eat the stick of the lollipop, but that's not important right now. <laughs> and then he's like, and God, God was not asking his opinion. He's like, you're eating the scroll. And he's like, yes, I am. Oh, I'm eating a scroll. Look at me, I'm eating a scroll. Okay, now thankfully, it was a delicious scroll, right? And he's like, I should eat scroll more often. I had no idea how delicious these things are right? And he's eating it, and it tasted like honey. Well, is everybody clear this is an illustration that creates a metaphor of a spiritual truth? Yeah? Okay. And, and here's why. Why was it honey? You go, well, sweet. Well, hold on. The scroll had tons of stuff on it, and all of them were bad. The message itself was pretty rough. Then why is it sweet? Because if it comes from the heart and mouth of God, it's true and right, and it's always sweet even if it's a correction or a judgment. And so when he ate it, he went, you know what? God is always good. And he consumed it. And then the most powerful piece was he said, I want you to fill yourself with it, then go talk about it. Let God's word do a work in you first before you open your mouth. You don't go out into society and start telling everybody to live a Christian life when you're not living a Christian life. You don't just tell it. You cannot impart what you do not possess. You cannot give away what you do not have. That God is saying, listen, in order to be effective for me, you actually have to know me. So I want you to take that. Understand, anybody that comes to this pulpit or or this stand up here, if anybody comes up here and preaches to you at this church, they have to let this do its work in us before we ever bring it to you. We got to be convicted by it we got to be encouraged by it we got to have this stuff go through so that by the time we get it to you we know it's true by experience you guys if we're going to go out there and share about the love of god you don't have to worry about trying to share over your head just share what you know here's my story i once was lost now i'm found well how does the dinosaurs work i have no idea Okay, cool. So what else can you tell me? Well, I can tell you Jesus is the most fascinating person ever, he's kind of my hero, but really he has changed my life. Well, how exactly does it work that he's God and man? I don't know. I don't know, but I can tell you this. I wanna go to heaven and he's my only shot. So I'm gonna keep things real basic, dude, because I don't really have a lot. I don't really understand a lot, but what I do know, I do believe. If you can be honest and raw and stay in that pocket, it's gonna be way more powerful because they're gonna believe you. It's when we start going off on stuff we have no idea about that we start to lose our respect. Does that make sense? All right, here we go. I'm gonna paraphrase verse four through 11. So in the calling, here's what he says to Ezekiel. He says, he says, dude, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to send you out to Jews. I'm not sending you to foreigners like there would be a language barrier or anything. I'm just sending you to your own people. If I sent you to foreigners, quite frankly, they would probably hear you and respond well. But actually, I'm sending you to the rebellious people that are your people, my people, right? As a matter of fact, their hearts and heads are so hard. It's like the hardest material on the planet. It's so hard, they're not going to listen. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make your heart and your head just as hard as theirs. He's like, what do you mean? Dude, they're so stubborn, but I'm going to make you stubborn. You're going to give them the message whether they like it or not. Like, if I did not harden your head, you'd probably want to give up. You'd probably want to bail. You're like, they're not listening to me. But if I make you tenacious, if I make you on fire, if I make you hardcore, you're going to keep going, you need to hear this, you need to hear this, and I'm going to do all kinds of radical stuff to get the point across to you, and I'm not giving up until you hear it huh. He said, Ezekiel, I don't want you to be afraid of them. You're on my team, okay? Notice verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12. Then the Holy Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of Yahweh from its place. And that was the sound of the wings of the cherubim, the living creatures, as they touched one another, at the sound of the wheels beside them, at the sound of a great earthquake. The Holy Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in the bitterness and the heat of my spirit, the hand of Yahweh being strong upon me, and I came home to the exiles by the Shabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them for seven days pretty heavy vision, pretty heavy experience. A couple things we need to know about that. Do you realize that the word ruach in Hebrew is spirit, breath, and wind? Same word. And so it's a bit of a play on words. And then the Holy Spirit came and whirlwind me up and carried me or teleported me back home. Okay, He said, and I heard the sound of an earthquake, and I turned around and found it was just the cherubim touching each other's wings. That's how powerful it is coming at him. So question, is that vision supposed to be terrifying or meaningful? The answer is yeah, it is. (laughs) Why? It's so important, it's terrifying. That if their wings make an earthquake sound, what could they do? That's who's behind you to help you. That's amazing, right? But notice this weird phrase, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. What the heck does that mean? It's all emotional language, and here's what it means. And Ezekiel was angry and bitter about all of it. The next word says, "And the hand of the Lord compelled me. He's like, listen, I didn't like any of this. I don't understand it. I'm not cool with it, but there's nothing I can do about it. God is driving me. That's an interesting thing. You're going to find out next week why there's so much resistance in his spirit. He knows this is not an ordinary call. He's going to have things asked of him that no other human being will ever have asked of them. And it's going to be really hard. He's not cool. By the time he gets home, he is angry and overwhelmed for a week. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you didn't want to move for a week. That's what happened to him. All his buddies are like, dude, you want to shoot pool? Go to Arby's? He's like, nope. Nope, I just want to lay here. I just want to sit here. Dude, I am not cool with what I saw. I'm not cool with what I heard. And I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with all of this. God gives him a little bit of time to process. Boom, he's back on it. Pick it up in verse 16. At the end of seven days, the word of Yahweh came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. What's a watchman? It's actually super... Easy concept. It's something that you probably already know and it's familiar. If there was an ancient walled city, who's going to find out if the bad guys are coming? Uh, It's the dude that's up on the tower that's at the top of the wall. He looks around, looks for danger. If he sees any danger, he blows his horn, and then everybody knows there's danger, and they all get prepared. That's a watchman. Spiritually speaking, God said, you're my point man in this generation, in this area, and I'm going to do things and let you see it first. And I want you to let everyone know what's going on. You're going to see it before they do. But I want you to warn them. As a matter of fact, he even says this. If you don't warn them and something bad happens, I'm holding you accountable. I didn't ask for this job. I know. I'm just telling you. If you do not do your job and something bad goes down, oh, they're still going to get in trouble, but I'm coming after you too. You got to nail this, buddy every single time. What is the danger that's coming? Well, sin has obviously been the danger that created a lot of the problems, but you know who the real danger is right now to Israel? God. He's like, I'm coming at you, and I'm not on your team right now. Wow, that's a little bit scary, right? Now, I do want to say one thing and just get on a soapbox a little bit here. I'm not a big fan of people that call themselves watchmen today, Uh, There's a lot of people that are lone wolf ministry people. Oh, I'm a prophet. I'm a watchman. What they really mean is they're a watchdog. Oddly enough, their personalities are very cynical and critical. Weird. And what they want to do is they want to talk about what's wrong with everybody else, but they don't want any accountability on them. If in your ministry you don't have any accountability, I'm not interested in listening to you because you become dangerous you might be all up in your own head and say all kinds of weird stuff. And if you are going, I'm the only one God speaks through, you're immediately suspect. I'm like, nope, sorry, I can't follow that. That's not right. That's not biblical. Okay? So there are a lot of folks that want to puff up their ministry and make it sound like they're bigger than they are. Listen, you can be a prophet. That's cool. We need you. You can be uh, all kinds of stuff. In the prophetic, you can do all kinds of stuff with words from the Lord. You can do all kinds of stuff with helping us see things, but don't make it sound like you're as big as God or that you're the only one that has truth. And certainly, do not talk to me if you're not willing to be held accountable too, because you're just a person. Yeah. Last thing we're going to do, and then we're going to get out of here. Ezekiel 8.1. Turn there real fast. Ezekiel 8.1. I just got three verses I want to read to you. Ezekiel 8.1. Go to the right. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord Yahweh fell upon me there. Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man, and below what looked like his waist was like on fire, and above his waist was something like like the appearance of brightness like gleaming metal and he put out like what looked like a hand and he grabbed me by a lock of my hair on my head and the holy spirit lifted me up between heaven and earth and brought me in visions of god to jerusalem that's not normal why am i highlighting this because ezekiel got to do and see stuff that nobody got to see that's pretty cool why, why did he get to see it and other people didn't? Is it because he's better? No. Is it because he's more holy? No. Is it because he's smarter or he's a priest? No. Here's why he saw it. Because God said so. He was available. And God said, I can trust you to do my work. I want you to do things with me. Does Ezekiel have issues? Yes. Is he a real human? Yes. But he was near God. And when you're near God, you get to experience stuff that regular folks don't. You guys, I've been in ministry so long, I have seen things that would spin your head. And I don't want to live a Christianity any other way. I don't want to live an intellectual distant faith. I don't want to live a dry faith. I I just want to live a vibrant, real faith. And this is my encouragement to you this whole year. When God says, come with me, follow. When God says, spend time with me, spend time with him. When God says, I want you to read my word, read his word. What I'm telling you is that the more and more you spend time with him and open your heart to him, he's going to let you see extraordinary things. And I just believe that if all of us had that kind of walk with God, we would be on fire and imagine what we could do in his name to love the world and change the world. You guys. We're just going to close in prayer. We'll get out of here. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? They are here to pray breakthrough for you. So afterwards, just come on up. They want to pray with you. They want to intercede for you. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. And right now, we prepare a yes upon our lips. That if you would call upon us, if you would whisper our name, if you would give us a direction, we will say yes and we will go and do that. We will not allow our creature comforts. We will not allow our resistance to stop you to the best of our ability. So God, right now we soften our hearts and we don't want to be like the rebellious house. We want to be the soft place where if you come into Bridgeway and you tell us to do anything, we're ready to go. Whether we're going to school, going to work, going to the store, going anywhere, God, we're on. We're never off the clock. And so, Lord, as you direct, we will follow to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.